to the Renzo Republic. Killing me on the way out to LA Louds and Queens while we was in the car on the way to the shop. But y'all right now, kick the bass for them brothers and let them know what goes on. Rolling stones in the rafter, not bragging. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you all listening in wherever you are in the country. I'm your host of the Remso Republic, Remso W. Martinez, and I'm excited to bring up our guest, Corey Fauconier. For those of you that don't know Corey, Corey Fauconier is an independent hip-hop artist, a community activist. He's the current host of Talks Over Drinks, and he's the communications chair for the Libertarian Party of Virginia. Corey, thank you so much for calling into the show today. It's great to have you here, finally. Rem, so my pleasure to be on the show with you. I appreciate the opportunity very much. So for those of you that actually haven't seen Corey's stuff before, Ten Bucks says that you saw a nice libertarian during the 2015 election cycle. I mean, that video just went like wildfire online, at least in Virginia politics. Everyone was talking about it. Even after the election, people still recognized you because of that music video. That's correct. Yeah, so how are, how are things with the Libertarian Party of Virginia right now? What, what, what are the kind of the things that you were kind of dipping your hands into this election cycle? Because I know you're incredibly busy with your business, with all the campaigns you're working on. How about you tell us a little bit about what's going on with you? Well, with me, um, still, still raising the kids, still with the family, um, doing another two episodes of Talks Over Drinks with my co-host, Markel Prines. Um, these are going to be Liberty editions that we're doing for uh, JJ, J.J. Summerell, who is um, running for U.S. Congress in North Carolina, District 1. Still working on music, um, still hanging out my music crew, MSB 804 LLC. And MSB stands for uh, Manifest Something Beautiful. Um, working with them on some new projects. Um, working with a in Richmond, you don't have to declare a party. So I'm working on a couple of local campaigns here um, for city council and for school board, and just you know getting around, circulating ballot access campaigns for Gary Johnson and, and Governor William Weld. Um, hopefully, we will um, you know get them on the ballot here in Virginia. Um, so just um keeping my ear to the ground, helping Liberty in, in all its different facets. And, um, you know, it's a really exciting time uh, for Virginia politics. Yeah, you know, the, the remarkable thing about you specifically, Corey, is you actually started getting involved in politics probably around the same time I did back in 2014. And just a couple of years, you went from, you know, just doing ballot access signatures, getting all that stuff, to managing campaigns, to really being active and changing your community. What actually made you such an active person in politics? Because this is a new thing for you, and you've been able to hit the ground running since you started. I think that community activism is something that I learned from my parents, Emma and Sylvester, back when I grew up in southeastern Queens. Um, they were always involved in church functions. Um, we had a um, community garden plot at Roy Wilkins Park. Um, so I think that was something that my upbringing gave me, my parents and my community back in Queens gave me. Here in Virginia, I was a member of Toastmasters International from 2008, and um, that's how I got involved in learning about public relations and communications. So I worked with the various Toastmasters clubs here in Richmond, 
Um, two of my mentors were uh, Reggie Ford and Keith Hicks. And Keith, Reggie, and I kind of migrated from Toastmasters to uh, the Richmond Crusade for Voters, which is the oldest uh, African-American voting rights organization here in, in Richmond. Um, and it was at the um, function. We had a forum in November 2014, and that's where I ran into Rob Sarvis and James Carr when they were running for governor and U.S. Congress, respectively. And um, I took my kids and my sons, you know, listened to all of the political figures on the stage. And at the end, my, my oldest son was like, you know, they call me Dread. He said, Dread, um, Mr. Sarvis kicked ass. And he just was real <laughs> excited, like he wanted to meet Rob Sarvis. And everybody else is talking about the Redskins score. And Rob Sarvis and James Carr were just very genuine. You know, we helped put all the chairs back. We took pictures. And then after that, the only thing I could do for Rob's campaign was hand out literature because it was at the tail end that I met him. And I, I said that, you know, if there was anything I could ever do for the Libertarian Party, for them to, you know, call me and let me know. And next thing I knew, um, that's when I first started getting on Twitter and all the Libertarians from around the Richmond area started to tweet me and invite me to function. So I started to go just to find out for myself, what liberty was about. And then it was not soon after that, I met Carl Lozer. And Carl was like, hey, Corey, you know, I have this proposition for you. And I went out and met with him. And it just kind of, we clicked. And I think between those functions and meeting those key people, I've always been an independent. So I don't think, you know, I was never a Democrat or a Republican. So I feel like libertarianism or, you know, the liberty movement for me is, what it needs to be at this particular point. And it's talking about freedoms that we're not seemingly to get in this two-party system that's broken. I mean, nothing's working. Does We don't have to even, you know, look at it. I know for Richmond politics, I mean, over the last 10 years, they're running the city into the ground. They can't afford to pay police. They can't afford raises for fire personnel. They can't fund public schools. I mean, what's there left to do? Like either me as a parent, I should have the ability to decide to homeschool my child or figure out some type of charter school situation. Um, but currently it doesn't seem like anything is working. And I'm looking forward to some of these new faces who are running for city government to get in there and try to work together to make Richmond you know, a good place to live, work and raise a family. That's awesome. Who are some of the people that, you know, you, you kind of brought up just now, these people that are actually going to try and bring the message of liberty to Richmond? Um, right now, um, Garrett Sawyer is running in the 5th District against Parker Agalesto. Uh, Amelia Leitner, um, who is my adopted mom, um, is running in the 8th District against Reva Trammell. Um, so those are two of the city council races that I'm working on and helping them with communication. Um, Garrett is when both, both mom and Garrett I met during my tenure with the Richmond Crusade for Voters. Um, so I've worked with them closely. Um, both of them have a, a good perspective of, you know, community involvement, activism and wanting to bring business to help out the community. And like Ms. Leitner said in her, in her first speech when she was at a fundraising event, Hull Street needs to look like Main Street. The problem is that 
all of these businesses are coming to Richmond and the city's attracting all this big business, but none of this big business is coming to the Hispanic or the African-American community. So it's almost like we're, we're left out and there's nothing functional working to improve our quality of life, the quality of life of our children's education. Um, I know my kid's school, Huguenot High School, it's a beautiful $64 million building. Um, I think the city would have been better off taking that money, Remso, and spreading it across the whole system. Actually, but- you know what? You actually just reminded me of something recently. There was um, there was an issue of the local school, school district in Richmond, and um, I'm trying to remember because we were actually on the phone. We were talking on the phone about this recently. Uh, oh, the student walkout. Right. Walk out. Yeah. How, how, can, can you go ahead and remind me and maybe tell our viewers a little bit about that? Because that was a big so, issue and nobody talked about it. I didn't see it on the news. I know a couple of reporters talked about it, but it was you and the other activists dealing with this that were trying to get this out over social media. You were making phone calls. Tell us a little bit about it. I definitely. So the one mainstream media outlet I do have to shout out is WRIC Channel 8. Matthew McClellan, he was on the scene at City Hall and they're always in the mix. So I definitely got to shout Channel 8 um, because, you know, they're always out there. But basically, the kids decided that, you know, they were fed up and they see what we as adults can't seem to fix. And some of the schools decided that they were going to walk. It depended on what school you were at depending on if you got out. I know George With High School security kind of barricaded the door and they were like, yeah, not so much. You guys can't go. I do know that Open High School was one of the schools that did actually walk out. Um, I instructed my kids at Huguenot that I would take them to the protest um, just from my experience being in New York. And the last time there was a big present, uh, big demonstration there, And it was like a bunch of rappers and all the kids walked out of school. They met up with the NYPD and kids and the police, they don't really mix. So it was a lot of people getting arrested and pepper spray and this, that and other things. So I told my kids, I I took them to the march with me and their mom, because at least if something happened, I was with my children. I think that people saw it different ways. Some people were like, you know, it's great for the kids to stand up for themselves. But like I say, they're my children. So if anybody needs to be fighting, we as the parents who are adults who pay the taxes, you know, we should be the ones going to the, going to bat for our kids. So before we get, before we get a little too ahead of ourselves, what were some of the issues that led up to this? Led up to the walkout? Yeah. Um, I think basically the walkout happened because of the budget. Basically, they were saying at that point they were like, I think, $18 million in a deficit and they wanted to close between six and eight schools. But when you look at the school system in Richmond, I mean, my kids go to Huguenot. They're 40 kids in a class. So what schools were you planning to close and where are you going to put the kids after you close the schools down? When schools in the African-American and Hispanic districts are already overcrowded, like where are we going to go? And then the other issue was that, you know, you have gang activity in Richmond. So you're going to put two rival gangs in the same school. That's not going to work either. (laughs) So I think at the point the kids were and as it's being reported, we have this deficit. Well, you got money to bring Stone Brewery to Richmond. You got money to build the stadium for the Redskins, but you have no money for education. You can't find raises for fire and police personnel. So clearly, 
we're not being conservative or respectful with the tax money that the people are paying into the coffers. So I think all of that boiled over. Um, there were a couple community groups that were like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do this. And, you know, that's how I think the, uh, the walkout in City Hall protest was born. Yeah, you know, I remember when this was going on and you were filling me in on what was occurring with that whole situation. I was um, I was a campaign manager for a local city council race in Lynchburg, and we were having an issue with balancing the budget to make sure that we could maintain our schools and everything. And I was, you know, this was not a libertarian campaign. It was an independent campaign. I was, you know, I'm, I'm a libertarian, but my candidate was a conservative. And we got... We, we got kind of attacked by a lot of libertarians in the area when we were doing that because we're talking about how to make sure we can balance the budget to maintain the schools. We're talking about how to make sure that we can keep public works going. And they're like, you right. know what, just let the schools collapse if that's what you need to do because the money should go back to everybody else. Well, you know, that's great. And I'm all for eliminating as many taxes, as many government public programs there are, but there's a need to be pragmatic. And in terms of things that you need to cut in a city budget, I'm all for cutting subsidies to businesses like the brewery you mentioned and to the Redskins right. Stadium. Those are worthless. Right. When you want to trim the fat on something, you should trim the fat and then get down to the nitty-gritty of everything else. As much as I am for free choice when it comes to how you school and educate your kids, I do understand one thing. You should not use public schools as a hostage crisis for how to manage a budget. And for Richmond to do that with their public schools, as you mentioned, that's that's not fiscally responsible. That's just downright stupid. I mean, it's just – I think what you guys did was great. Let's backtrack a little bit. The students are walking out. You're out in protest. What happens from there? How did this whole thing get resolved? Well, from what has been said, they found the money in the budget for a portion of the schools. I'm going to be real honest with you. I have not really kept up with that aspect of it. The last um, Richmond Times-Dispatch article I remember seeing was that they found money wherever they found it to kind of help close that budget gap. But I guess my my concern is always the same. Last year, we had a budget crisis. But last year's budget crisis was, I think, like maybe six or eight. And they kind of fumbled through that. So what happens is every year the crisis gets worse. But, you know, they're not talking about school choice. They're not talking about charter schools. They're not talking about online school. And they're not talking about any other educational um I guess, other option. And um, recently, I know that the governor had vetoed a, a school choice bill or a homeschooling bill. I think it was a ch- school choice bill. And from my conversation with the teachers union on Facebook, they were like, he vetoed it because there was something already on the books that was kind of similar. But the information that the school, the teachers union sent me was from like 2001. So I was like, well, that doesn't seem too current. But I mean, if I could afford it, I would probably work to homeschool my kids. But unfortunately, I just don't have that type of income where, you know, we can both one of us can stay home. But I just feel like feel kind of like we're being held hostage by the government because they we pay taxes. And, you know, we as libertarians definitely believe that taxation is theft. Preach. And then they, they 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 waste the tax money that we give on frivolous stuff. And I, I work down in Fulton Landing. So 
I passed that brewery every day and I said I was going to go in there one day and see what my tax money helped purchase. But um, basic, the basic bottom line is that they just, you know, frivolously blow our money. And then every year they turn around and say, well, you know, it's just not enough to go around. So, you know, tough luck on the people. And it's like, to me, where are the Richmonders who have feeling like, you know, enough is enough. Like we can't just every year, go through this cycle, you know, everybody wants to get reelected this year. But my question to everybody is what's that person's history on voting and what types of positive or negative things have they done to want to be remaining either on the current level that they're on in city government or graduating to the next level of city government? And kind of to me, it's like, you know, you got to look at the individual, figure out what they've done and if they're not doing anything that's going to, as as Miss Leitner says, make Hull Street look like Main Street, I, I think it's time for, you know, to kind of sweep the broom and kind of clean house. That's just my opinion. No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the upcoming elections because right after this commercial break, we're going to get straight forward to talking about what we should expect in November. I'm Remso W. Martinez, and you're listening to the Remso Republic. Hold on tight. We'll be back in a minute. Show on the go by subscribing to the Rimza Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out. For years, the Republican and Democrat parties have used social issues and crises to keep us at odds with one another. They've divided us into groups and pit each group against the other, while those in government have together collaborated to strip us of our liberty little by little. In 2009, I decided to do something about it, and the Rupert for Senate campaign was born. Government of, by, and for the people requires our participation, not as voters, but as leaders and decision makers. But the parties have made it all but impossible for real, ordinary Americans to do so. So this average American has, since 2009, worked to give the voters, at least of Ohio, a choice outside the parties. The message is simple. The Constitution protects every American equally, but it's powerless to protect itself. That's our job, and it's time we take it seriously. You can learn more about my campaign at scottrupert.com. I'm Scott Rupert, independent candidate for Ohio's U.S. Senate, and I approve of this message. People often ask me what podcasts I listen to, you know, and I'm not listening to old episodes of my own, that is. There are many great out there. There are some that are entertaining, funny, you learn from them, they just give you a great insight you're not going to hear anywhere else. But there's one show that really comes to mind when I think of where to get your starting ground and understanding what open minds and open markets mean. It's actually the show that I listened to when I first started learning about libertarianism. It's the Lions of Liberty podcast with its host, Mark Clare. Mark and his team do excellent things, from libertarians in a living room drinking liquor to Felony Fridays. They have a great list of just amazing interviews, talking to the movers and shakers in the liberty movement. And let me tell you, if you want to get your friends who are a little apolitical or they're a little liberal or a little conservative, but they like the ideas of liberty, Mark Clare will give it to you at the Lines of Liberty. So go ahead, check them out on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes today, and check it out for yourself. I guarantee you will not regret it. Check it out today at www.lionsofliberty.com.
folks, welcome back to the show. I've got Corey Fauconier, the communications director for the Libertarian Party of Virginia. Corey, when we um, right before we got into our commercial break, we were talking about what to kind of expect in terms of the upcoming election. There's a lot of stuff going on in the country. I mean, obviously, you turn on any channel, you're going to see them talking about Hillary or Trump. But in terms of the battleground states, Virginia is key. And where we decide to go for our own local elections, that typically mirrors what we're going to see nationally. So my question to kind of start things off is, as the communications director for the Libertarian Party of Virginia, what should we be expecting in November? You know, November is, and I think this has been my first national election in kind of my role with the Libertarian Party. Um, I think sometimes people come out for these elections thinking that the national elections make kind of, I guess, the policies that are really going to affect us. But I think it's kind of the opposite. I think that it's the local elections that make everything kind of work for your community. Um, I'm not really a big proponent of Hillary Clinton. I think her email scandal and I guess various other things that I've heard, not from the mainstream media, and and I kind of encourage folks to listen to the podcast, like the Rumsfeld Republics, you know, peep out Alex Jones and InfoWars, you know, kind of, you know, don't just look at mainstream media, and I say this all the time on Facebook, um, people drown in the mainstream, because I think sometimes that is packaged, prepackaged to make you think a certain way. And then we get all upset and we allow our perspectives to be skewed. Yeah, you know, um, I actually saw this quote online the other day, and it's kind of stuck in my head ever since, and it relates to this. It's that we live in an ocean of information, but we drown in a flood of ignorance. Yes, yes. I saw that same post. And, and that's kind of how I feel. I think that I respect certain things about Donald Trump because I think what Donald Trump is doing is he's the voice of the people who feel like they have no voice. He's speaking a certain segment of the population, and I understand why they're frustrated, and I can understand that they want some type of change. Um, maybe the change Donald Trump is trying to bring may not be the change. But the thing that I like about his election or the thing that I like about his campaign is he's drawing attention to how parties select their nominee number one. And a couple cycles back, it happened here in Virginia where Joe Morrissey was a Democrat in the the state house. Um, The basically the Democrats kind of turned against him and then he resigned his post, but then he re-ran as an independent. And, um, Basically, the Democrats here in Virginia kind of used a couple of Democrats to kind of pick who his replacement was. And the people at large, their vote didn't matter. And that was kind of key to me at that particular point, because it's like the parties kind of conspired to figure out how they wanted to do it. And our regular popular vote for that district just didn't matter. So it's kind of like what Mr. Trump is saying is going on in the Republican Party, and he wants to bring people's attention to parts of the situation that may not work for us as the people. So I think that's the one thing about his campaign that I'm kind of respecting. The other thing— I'm going I'm to jump in real fast, Corey. I'm glad you bring that up. He's bringing up these issues. He's bringing up the frustration that the American people have. The one thing that you've been able to 
really encapsulate with Donald Trump is that he's running as the anti-establishment candidate, even though looking at his life, he's always been for the establishment. The thing that frustrates me about the Libertarian Party right now is that I think we missed a big opportunity. This should have been our election, and I'm, you know, I don't want to cut us down too much. I think we're going to have some record-breaking numbers in the general in November. But I think the record-breaking numbers that we're going to see, they're less than what they could have been if, let's say, we went with someone like John McAfee, if, let's say, we had more and more candidates running for these local elections. Do you think that we've missed out on our opportunity to market ourselves as the actual alternative to these establishment politics, or did we succeed at that? What are your thoughts? I'm kind of on the fence with both, and I'm going to tell you why. I think people like us, Remso, like, we're already sold. We know change needs to be made, and, like, we're revolutionary enough in our thinking to say we need to make change now. Unfortunately, for a lot of Americans— they need to make change in small baby steps. So I think that what what happened to our party at this juncture is that a lot of us are revolutionary, but then a lot of us are pragmatic. And basically the revolutionary side of the party, you know, the real libertarians, the real, you know, anarchist libertarians, we're going to scare the hell out of regular Main Street type of people. We, we, there's no way we're going to meet them in the middle. So I think what ha- what happened and what is happening is we're kind of having to adjust our message a little bit to get the mainstream people to come over. It's like, you know, you can't feed a baby with no teeth steak. It's not going to digest. It's not going to work. So we basically had to make our message baby food to, to meet the people that are the undecided voters. I understand why it was done. But, I mean, I've always been, you know, my, my favorite rapper right now is Roy Revolution. And he says in one of his songs, I ride for the rejects, nerds, and unpopulars. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat my message to make you get it. You should be able to get my message. And even if you say, hey, Corey, I looked at Liberty and it doesn't work for me and I don't want it. That's different. What's happening to us and at least to me and my community is And Mr. McAfee said that. And when I met him in Orlando, you know, we had this whole conversation, me, him, his wife and my wife, Mandy, is the fact that he was like, more African-Americans need to come to Liberty. I mean, Rob Sarvis and James Carr came to my neighborhood and they picked me up. I'm in the neighborhood and I'm telling people about Liberty and everybody's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. But they're not really looking at us as a whole. They're not really looking at why liberty is important because right now I feel like we don't have a lot of liberties, especially in Virginia, where they took the ballot access thing to court and Monday came and we were finding out now at the tail end of the week that we lost our ballot access lawsuit. It's either Republican or Democrat. And according to the judges that sat and looked at this, you know, they're trying to keep the American people from being um, confused. I mean, I don't really understand the confusion. Clearly, the judge went to law school. He he learned and he became a better person after he was able to digest and learn about the law. We should be given that same respect. And I think here in Virginia, 
you know, it's a, a lot of stuff's got to change. Some, some stuff is changing, but a lot more stuff has to change where it's 2016 and my party can't even get on the ballot. Like, where's the freedom in that? There's no Democrat or Republican. That, if you don't want to talk about any other liberty issue and you want to talk about ballot access and you wonder why libertarians are upset and we don't want to do certain things and we feel like we're under the gun, it's not it's not right. And there's no way you can paint it to me anyway. Like, it's just not it's not working. It's not working in my state. Yeah, that's that's actually what I want to lead into the next segment with. But right now, we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. This conversation does not end here, folks. Just hang on tight. What's our problem with messaging the ideas of liberty? Is it the ideas? Is it the people? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's the fact that we're just not doing it in a smart type of way. This is where the Libertarian Youth Caucus comes in. The Libertarian Youth Caucus represents the millennial wing of the Libertarian Party. They're trying to expand the party base while finding new ways to communicate simple, timeless principles such as open minds and free markets. What we need to know is how to find the next generation of voters and make them vote for liberty. We can have a smaller government and a freer economy in our lifetime. And I believe that if we want to help invest in the Libertarian Party, the best way to do so is with the Libertarian Youth Caucus. Learn more about them today at lyc.silkstart.com. That's lyc.silkstart.com. This message is approved by the Libertarian Youth Caucus. back for the final segment. Corey, finish off the show. The biggest thing that you brought up in the last segment was we have to get people to listen to our ideas and to understand them and that we can't throw our full-blown philosophy, which is fringe and new to a lot of people, for them to get it, for them to want to be interested in it. Now, you brought up the hardcore anarchist wing of the Libertarian Party. I think I'm more of a Pragmatist, you know, I, you know, we have people that call themselves volunteerist and classical liberals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I call myself more of a conservatarian. But there's an issue with messaging, and I don't like it whenever I see Gary Johnson stand up on the stage, sounding stupid, saying, "Oh, you know, I'm fiscally conservative and uh, socially liberal." He's playing into identity politics, and as we've seen during his campaign since he got the presidential nomination, and he brought freaking Bill Weld, who praises Hillary Clinton every chance he gets. Old friend, nice kid, newer in our twenties. We shared an office on the Nixon impeachment. Real bond, lifelong. Seriously, not kidding. Which, by the way, I'm I'm actually afraid to see Gary Johnson get on the debate stage if he does with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Because I don't know if Bill Weld will be wearing a Team Gary jersey or a Team Hillary jersey. So just throwing that out there. But let's say I'm just a regular voter. Let's say I'm an independent. And you want to start this conversation with me. If I'm looking to vote for a libertarian, what would you say to me to try and convince me, at least consider your ideas? First of all, I would tell, I would ask you what you believe so I can find out where you're coming from. 
if you're a Republican, and I, I've had a chance to speak to a few African-American Republicans, which I thought was actually refreshing, and then I, I have a lot of friends that are Democrats. I think that even though I'm in a community, I'm kind of frowned upon because I'm like the black sheep, kind of. I would want to know why people think being a Republican or Democrat has worked and what their person that they're supporting, what they've done in their current role that thinks makes that voter think that they're favorable to take either to be reelected or go to the next step. Um, you know, I start here in Virginia with people that I meet and I just talk about ballot access. We don't even have a choice of who can get on the ballot. And we have to spend a lot of our time, effort and resources in getting on the ballot in the first place. That's probably the most I guess important thing to me is that everybody has a choice and, you know, choice to carry a gun, not to carry a gun, choice to be gay, straight, you know, love the animals. I don't I don't care what you believe in. But the, the, <laughs> the, the, the liberty, the liberty is in even though we may not agree at the end of the day, Remso, as long as what you do doesn't negatively impact me or hurt me or my family, then I feel like you should have the freedom to do so. And in reality, they say we have freedoms, but I, I really don't think we have as much freedom as they make us think we do, because we still have the same problems that we do. And, and more government doesn't make our problems go away. I, and I thought that the one thing I learned, I went to the 20 the year anniversary, the Million Man March, and I was listening to Louis Farrakhan. And I was sitting on the Washington Mall and I had the family, everybody was with us and we kind of laid out and had a picnic. And I'm listening to Louis Farrakhan and I said, he, Louis Farrakhan sounded a lot like Carl Lozer telling me that, you know, the government isn't going to give you freedom. And I was totally blown away. I looked at my wife, we just looked at each other and just smiled. And I was just like, you know, people don't understand. You can't, you can't be a Democrat because your parents were Democrats and their parents were Democrats. Like somehow along the line, me as a parent, I want to teach my children right from wrong. And then there's going to be a time where I'm so where, you know, you're a little you're younger than me. There's going to be a time where I'm going to have to pass the baton to your generation and good, bad or indifferent. I'm going to let go of that baton and your generate. It's going to be your turn to do whatever you think right, wrong or indifferent. I can't hold the baton and tell you for the rest of your life. Remso, you got to do it my way. You're going to do it your way. You're going to do it the way you see fit for you and your children. And it's going to be time for me and all the retirement age people that have a seat somewhere and, you know, wish you guys the best of luck. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people are Democrats and Republicans because their parents told them that that's what they need to do instead of them finding their own way. No, I, I agree with you entirely on that part. I think the fear with people is... What will happen when I take charge of something? What will happen when it becomes my responsibility to do it? Because we have a lot of we have a lot of sheep. We don't have a lot of sheepdogs because people are afraid that they're going to be ostracized. People are afraid that it will negatively impact them. People are afraid of fear. It's fear itself of what will happen. Until we get people to actually understand, this is what's going to happen when you don't take action then they might listen. Inaction is in itself an action. And right. if you're not standing for something, you're standing for nothing. That's right. Yeah, so, Corey, 
if people want to follow you, get in contact with you, if they want to learn more about the Libertarian Party of Virginia, how, how can they keep track of you? Oh, uh, you see me on Twitter all day, every day. My Twitter handle is uh, C O R E Y M as in Maurice, F as in Frank, A U C O N I E R. That's me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at Corey Fokinye. Um, You know, Facebook and Twitter is probably the best way to catch up with me. If y'all say, hey, you know, I'm going to answer. Um, and I think social media is that platform to allow us to reach out around the state, around the country and around the world to kind of share ideas. So um, that's the one thing I could say about the, the Libertarian Party members on social media. We could always find each other. We could always reach out. You will, North Carolina will see us on September 17th, Music for Liberty. Um, our venue is secured and I don't recall the name because we just secured it. But if you guys catch up with uh, JJ Summerell, page on Facebook and Twitter. You can catch up with us. We're going to have a mix, hip-hop, gospel, R&B, bluegrass, country, you know, reggae, a little bit of music for everyone. And, you know, we want to utilize the music as an attractive method just to, you know, talk about politics a little, but enjoy the musical message um, for liberty and, you know, kind of just embrace one another. You know, one of my favorite Ron Paul quotes is, how can you have a revolution if you don't have any music? That's right. I, I think you've tapped into that perfectly. So, Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure my to pleasure. have you. Love you. Love you, man. Keep it up, Ramso. Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for? Uh oh, I'm a proud libertarian. Republicans and Democrats is just straight jibber jabbering. They talking nonsense, the same old, same old political thoughts to make the game unfold. See, my ancestors died for my right to vote. Dead serious, nah, son, this ain't no joke. But I'm not the 18th letter. Nah, I'm just trying to spit rhymes to make my hood look better. Education for my kids, jobs for my peeps.